with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And, uh, you know, Paul, for me, it's a four day weekend. Oh. And, and, you know, you know, cause I decided to take that Monday off that Monday, just sitting there between Sunday and Tuesday and, you know, Tuesday being independence day, you know, I just, I, I decided I needed the additional time. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included do chores on the weekend, you know, get a lot of stuff to, to get ready for the coming week. And, you know, when you throw in that four day weekend, it allows you the opportunity to be more productive, Right. You know, to get more things done, you know, to achieve perspective is the same <laughs> to achieve those items that you could not achieve over the course of a two day weekend. Whereas I, I see it as an opportunity to really stretch out that work over four days instead of cramming it into two. So, for instance, yesterday, productive. I went and got my haircut. Mm. That was productive. Okay. Yeah. Then I went and saw a movie. Not productive. Okay. 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 Then I then I came home and took a nap. Also not productive. That's good. It is good for your <laughs> mental health. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And today, I I, I think today Sunday is going to be occupied with a lot of drinking. I I think that's uh that's really what's on task for today. Well, really, you need to clear up the shelf space. So I I put that in the productive column. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I'm looking out for you. I appreciate uh, yeah. that. I if you could write my evaluations at work. Even better. <laughs> for me, I have, um, yeah, I agree. I feel like there are certain weekends such as this one, and I'm not off on Monday like like so many uh, took the Monday off. I, I am not, but I I have I, I did take advantage of the long weekend as inspiration. Not that I t- you know did am doing a long weekend worth of work, but I did do some outside work yesterday. Um, did you? Radio. I did. I did. But I have like a limit. I'm like once it's like once it creeps up towards drinking time, yeah. <laughs> then I'm I like, thought you were going to cite a temperature, but no, yeah. <laughs> drinking time, drinking time. Like, you know, like you start like I, I and yes, of course, it, it's super hot here. It's going to be 95 degrees today. But I'm looking, you know, but I started doing this air, the, these these things outside. And, and once it starts creeping up into like 11 o'clock and at noon, I'm, I'm done. There, there's no more pr- productivity time after noon on a weekend. Everything is all, all productive stuff. This is just, I guess, inherent from my childhood and cleaning bathrooms and stuff and getting all the chores done uh-huh. so I can enjoy my weekend. I'm like, once noon hits, I am unproductive. I, you know, you and I share that as a uh, as sort of a clock out, because once it hits drinking time, mm-hmm. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not one of those guys who's going to walk around my backyard doing chores with a beer in his hand. That's just not me. No. I, I, if I if I am drinking, I am committed to the drink. Yeah, I am fully focused on that drink and on the refill. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is it is, you know, I th- certainly there's a cigar there. But, uh, you know, that is that I, I feel like you have to value and nurture and cherish the beverage. Agreed. And I mean, you, uh, you, you got to respect it, Paul. You got to respect it. If you're going to if you're going to go for a beverage, why why disrespect the experience? That is correct. But is there correct. are people who 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 find that joy, that comfort that zen in their yard work with a beer, you know, mowing the lawn. Yeah. Just having a Miller light or something, a course uh-huh. light. That is not me. That is me. Hell, I don't even mow my lawn. There, there's a, <laughs> there's a little kid who's coming to mow the lawn here in a, in a little bit, actually. Well, you know, I am all about, you know, doing my, doing my yard work and then sitting there after my yard work is done and appreciating it 
with a beverage. I just don't do both at the same time. You don't mix. I, I'm not the guy with a cup holder on his lawnmower. I'm not, the, <laughs> you know, because I, 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 believe me, there are guys here in my neighborhood with that, you know, who've, mm-hmm. who've got the the Pabst Blue Ribbon sitting in a little koozie on the handlebars of their uh, mm-hmm. of their lawnmower, you know. <laughs> so not, that, not, not me. Not me. But, you know, that movie I went and saw I was about to say, what movie did you see yesterday? I saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I saw that as well. I actually went Thursday night to see it. Yeah, but I mean, it's Indiana Jones. I I was super excited for it. Now, Uh full disclosure, none of the trailers particularly excited me. Mm -hmm. It's more the concept of Indiana Jones right um that excited me I, I don't feel like the the trailers were necessarily even as a fan selling me on this movie nor were early reviews out of its premiere at um cons con mm-hmm. um but I gotta say Aaron I truly enjoyed the movie I'm glad you liked it I'm glad you liked it you didn't I thought it was rather mediocre um and I, I have a, a lot there are things I really liked about the movie yeah. Uh, well, let's and, let's let's touch on the stuff we liked because I, I I had issues with it. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. it is certainly it does not hold a candle to any of the top three or the first three. Right. Uh, I find yeah, it beats the hell out of Crystal Skull. skull right. And here's I, mean, the thing. The I didn't hate Crystal Skull the first time I saw it until the ending. But, you know, it, it does it. Each successive viewing of it has reduced my enjoyment of it. Well, I will tell you that uh, I, just as a preview. One of the primary things that I disliked about Crystal Skull is one of the primary things I disliked about uh, Dial of Destiny. But we'll come back to that. What I liked about it, I liked the addition of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You know, I'm unfamiliar with her. I know she's um, a producer. I think she had a hand. She's a writer. And yeah, yeah, she had a hand in the script of the the most recent James Bond film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she she has she has a TV show. Fleabag. Fleabag that I, I've not seen. So it's I, I don't think I've seen her on screen in anything before. It is hysterical, Paul. Hmm. Fleabag is just hysterical. Um, I love it. And uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the whole reason my wife went to go see this movie, because huh. she's not an indie fan. But uh, yeah, I, I like it. statement. I'm like, who's not an indie <laughs> fan? <laughs> okay. She's not. She's huh. not. But, uh, you know, she also liked the movie. Um, okay. The I liked the addition of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I uh, wish that they had done a little bit more with her character, though, um, to set her up for maybe her own thing, since this is clearly Harrison Ford's last run yeah. as Indiana Jones. Because, uh, you know, while she wouldn't be Indiana Jones, she could be her own thing. And I just don't feel like there was enough of that kind of energy. I also feel like the movie waited too long for the turn, you know, for her to become the good guy as opposed to learn a lesson. Yeah. And spoilers on just real quick. Yeah. It it took the death of Antonio Banderas to really make the difference there. Right. Right. And yeah, well, and I mean, Antonio Banderas really kind of hiding in that role. I mean, he didn't yeah. I did not get the Antonio Banderas of it all until shortly before they killed him. Honestly, I'm like, an Antonio Banderas fan. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until he started talking, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, exactly. I was That's like Antonio That's Banderas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. You know, and and you know, I, I want that I'm gonna be a little just interject a, a few points on what you said. Well, one be the death of Antonio Banderas. I found the movie and I am not a prude when it comes to violence not at all uh-huh. i found it a bit re- 
ridiculous that every single person <laughs> that they came across in their quest died. Yeah, it seemed like a lot point, of killing for at an some indie point, film. Like, yeah, like the bad guys literally just shot literally every single person, other than Sala, thank God. Uh-huh. Um, every single person they came across, whether it's like the person at the ticket booth, <laughs> um, you know, at a, at, a, at, a, at a tourist attraction, the bad guys just came and shot them. I'm like, I don't know that everyone <laughs> needs to get shot. Um, and, and at some point, it just, it, for me, it felt it felt a bit silly. Yeah. Um, that the bad guys like literally just shot everyone. I'm like, why? Yeah. Why'd you shoot him? He didn't do anything. Um, so it, that that was a bit funny to me. Yeah. I also think, you know, to your point about Phoebe Waller Bridge not being set up for a sequel or you know to a sp- for a spinoff. Um, I don't disagree. I feel like there wasn't, and maybe they learned their lesson from the whole shot. Yeah, the shy debacle because you know not only was that character not well liked, but I think you know the the thing that they did with shy is they did hit, give him a bit of a, a, a distinct look throughout the mm-hmm. entire film. And that's, you know, that's one thing I noticed about Phoebe Waller bridge. Like at no point did there, was there a turn in her visually to say, this is going to be her iconic appearance. If there is a right. spinoff, right. right? Um, she, she changed outfits throughout the movie, just normal, you know, normal stuff. Nothing's particularly distinct about it. Now I do agree her, her, she was a, a great presence on screen. I enjoyed the banter, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did think I, I think the the turn coming as late in the film as it did, and it comes within like the last I don't know forty minutes of the film, give or take, because it's about a two and a half hour long film. Right. Uh, you know, it take it does take a while for her to truly like learn her lesson and start helping. Um, I I feel like that was indicative of of one of my main qualms about the film, which is just that it, it was a bit too long. Yeah, yeah, it was too long, and I think that there's a ton of fat. Uh, in the opening sequence of the film, I, I felt like we lived on that train for way too long. Yeah, um, like a 20 minute sequence. And it really didn't need to be. No, no. And uh, um, so I, I know we were talking about things we like, but I'm I'm going to hit some things that, I, that uh, just really quickly that didn't work. Um, the direction of Hal Mangold who's a capable director, but he is not well suited for this property. Um, I feel like the absence of Steven Spielberg is keenly felt. And I think what you're missing in this film versus uh, a Steven Spielberg project is fun. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things I love about Indiana Jones is the cold open. I love, you know, the the sequence that is just, you know, balls out crazy, lots of fun. I, my favorite opening is from Temple of Doom, the the anything goes sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I and you know, you, there is this whimsical nature, and we tie in the Paramount logo uh, to the story, and you know, it, it becomes it goes up on the screen as part of that cold open, and I just I love that from from those movies and not only do we not get something like that we also don't get anything that looks like an interesting credit reel at all you know opening title card was just indiana jones the dial of destiny i mean there was nothing you know there was no call to adventure right well Um, and i will say for what it's worth i didn't have a problem with that because none of the indiana jones the title cards that that felt like that I think that's how most of them have worked. 
they've been, you know, as part of the opening sequence, it's just been a, your, 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 your average title card. Um, nothing particularly spectacular about it, but I do agree that the opening sequence itself for me felt overlong, mm-hmm. um, felt repetitive, frankly. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, we get it. The train's full of Nazis. Do we need to see that three times? Yeah. Um, and I will say my biggest issue with the opening sequence was CG indie and, um, you know, young, young Harrison Ford done via computer generation. Now they are getting better and it is probably the best it's ever been. Yeah. I thought it looked pretty good. And the fact that they didn't have Harrison Ford doing the acting, right. Um, you know, made it sure that the guy wasn't moving like an 80 year old man. So I appreciated that about it. However, you know, when they, when, whenever it was well lit, I struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Like in the very first shot, they take the mask off of his head or the bag over off of his head. And he's got a flashlight in his eyes. And I'm like, eh, like, it's just, it's that uncanny Valley thing. Yeah. And like, c- couldn't you, I mean, it is so much, ex- so expensive to do that. Yeah. Um, could you really not have just like cast Chris Brown? like like hey chris we need you to come in for a week and play young indy we've already done that right we did that or you could have gotten uh, that guy from solo or that guy from solo yeah yeah i think alden or aiden ehrenreich or something yeah yeah get someone um young to play harris you know get an actor to play young harrison ford the same way you did with river phoenix Mm -hmm. and i understand you didn't have computer generation back then but your audience isn't stupid they'll get what you're going for right and I know their thinking is, well, we knew we've already seen Indy at that age, right. you know, played by Harrison Ford, but we're not stupid. We'll get it. It's fine. Because yeah. um, I, I did. I did not care when, when when the action was moving or when the scenes were dark, it was fine. But um, there were just moments that I was like, eh, I don't know that well, this is necessary. And on the subject of CG, there is some CG in the movie that's laughable. Uh, There is a scene on the train where uh, you're seeing a silhouette of Indy running across the top of the moving train. And it is a cartoon. I mean, it's not CG. I mean, it's it's not like, wow, that's the silhouette of a man running across, you know, this 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 train. It is literally a cartoon. And I'm like, I mean, it might as well be Mickey Mouse running across the top of the of the train. It was ridiculous. It gave me those strong Blade Two vibes when Blade Two did those, uh, you know, CG actors. Uh Yeah, I um, I they were, I agree. I mean, and I know I'm being hard on it. And I started this conversation by saying I I truly enjoyed the film. I did, but those choices, which for what it's worth, I don't know that Spielberg would have made better choices at this place in his career. Um, but I I feel like it was excessively cg um unnecessarily you know the the problem i felt with the movie is that it was trying to tell a a young man's story with an 80 year old actor in Mm -hmm. in certain regards um and i you know there's part of me just like it's okay to let the guy be 80 years old now one of the things i thought was really brave was harrison ford with his shirt off you know at current age in Um, better shape than me damn straight but you know (laughs) He's an 80 year old man who's in great shape, but he still looks like an 80 year old man. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really brave. I one of the things that that, you know, like in Crystal Skull, what I didn't think worked is uh, Indiana Jones, in the 1950s. Right. I just mm-hmm. did not feel like that worked in that film. I felt like in this movie, Her- uh, Indiana Jones in the late 60s worked pretty well. It did. Um, I feel like they. it was almost. um. And perhaps I think the issue with the last one. So this is, 
was that they were trying to do straight up Indiana Jones right in the 1950s whereas this one is this is an this is an older Indiana who you know has he's fallen on hard times in his life and he's aged and we've acknowledged it whereas they didn't really acknowledge that right in the last one successfully to my for my opinion so i think yeah. that that may be part of the difference is last time indy felt like a man at a time this mm-hmm. one it feels like okay he's aged you know this is a point in his life and i gotta say in comparison to the last one i don't know if it's true but it feels like harrison ford was in better shape and did more stuff yeah in this one, because in the last one, it felt like it was just constant. Every time it wasn't a face shot, it was a stunt double. Right. Um, this time, I, I mean, you genuinely see Harrison Ford running and riding a horse, um, which, you know, he does. Mm. Um, he does that in 1923. But I was like, I felt like Harrison Ford was much more physical in this movie himself as an as the actor right. than in the prior movie. Right. I uh, One of the things that I liked about the movie was the appearance appearance of Marion at the mm-hmm. end. Uh, but one of the things that gripes me about the movie is that, you know, the previous movie, we spend the entire movie reuniting Marianne and Indy to yeah. separate them again off camera in this movie to then reunite them at the end of the movie. Um, and I, I get the reason for that. And by the way, I liked how they handled Shia LaBeouf, you know, yeah. LaBeouf, LaBeef, whatever his name is, um, you know, that he died in the war, which I assume is the Vietnam War. Um, I, I, I thought that was well done. And by the way, I thought Harrison Ford did a remarkable job carrying that beat in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, I believed him grieving as a father. Um, and I thought that was a nice moment. What I, what I would have appreciated is, uh, I, I, I would have since, since it, since, you know, we know that, that Karen Allen, is still acting. We know Karen Allen's around. I would have appreciated seeing Karen Allen earlier in the film. And I know that she wasn't going to be part of the action in this one, but maybe it could have been a, you know, serving him with divorce papers or something, you know, Hey, you really got to sign these yada, yada, you know, just, just so that we're aware of her so that when she shows up at the end of the movie, it's not a surprise because hey, look, Karen Allen's here. It's a surprise that look, these characters have gotten back together. Yeah, uh, I'm torn on that one. Cause I feel like it would have lost a little bit of the emotional impact of seeing her in that moment. Had they brought her in earlier. Yeah. Uh, the, the one character, uh, two characters in the movie that did not work for me, uh, was Teddy, the kid, because it just made me feel the absence of short round. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's too bad this movie was, you know, filmed and, and uh, you know, written and filmed prior to the success of Everything Everywhere All at Once, because I would have liked I would have really enjoyed a cameo from uh, from I can't remember the actor's Kiwi name. Con. Yes, uh, I would have enjoyed a cameo. It would have been nice to see those two characters on screen, even though we've gotten to see the actors together. Uh, I, I would have been nice to see. Uh, Teddy just didn't work for me. He didn't have near enough energy for me. Um, he just seemed like random kid going through the movie that needs a shave. Mm-hmm. Um, the the guy who plays uh, uh, Wombat's father, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's oh, character. Oh, I like that guy, but he also didn't have enough energy or flamboyance to be interesting on screen. Uh, he was important to the story. 
you know, and I felt like he did those parts admirably. But, I, you know, when he's in the woods, uh, you know, and engaging with the Nazis, I just would have preferred him to be a little bit more over the top mm-hmm. uh, for the inner because because those scenes come across so muted. And, you know, there is a chaotic energy that's available at the end of world war ii you're 1945 berlin's already fallen you know the surviving nazis are you know getting getting the hell out of town um i wanted there to be more chaos there and i wanted to feel that not just on the side of the nazis but also on the side of the allies and we didn't get a lot of that um so i felt like there were some missed opportunities and i think a different director might have captured that yeah, I could see that. And I yeah, I don't disagree. I, I also didn't necessarily care for the secondary villain. I thought Mads Mikkelsen did a, an admirable job. He was good, uh-huh. especially yep. the end where, you know, where things go awry. But what did and, you think of de-aged Mads Mikkelsen? <laughs> honestly, I thought it worked better than de-aged Harrison Ford. Yeah, I kept expecting uh, blood to drip out of his eye. You know, <laughs> right. Blood tears from uh, <laughs> blood Casino tears Royale. From Casino Royale. Uh-huh. Yeah, honestly, de-aged Mads Mikkelsen, I was like, wait. Is he de-aged <laughs> or, or does he, you know, like, but what did you see him later in the film? I'm like, I, I did they age him up or was he, I, I don't know. Like the CG worked, if it was CG, uh-huh. Mads Mikkelsen, it worked better than the Harrison Ford. Um, but I did not care for Boyd Holbrook. Um, he is the, the secondary villain, uh, Kleber. Is he the mustache guy? Yeah, he's the mustache guy. Yeah. I mean, he was, he, he's a fine, like. Must mustache twirling, uh, you know, like, um, you know, he, he's, you know, the, your your muscle, but I didn't really at any point know who the hell he was. Yeah, <laughs> he just yeah. was like there uh-huh. shooting people, you yeah, know, for uh, no good reason. Yeah, you know? on behalf of Mads Mikkelsen, that's really all he did. I'm like, wait, who is he? How do they know each other? Like, is he a Nazi? You know, yes, he's a Nazi attire at the end, but he's not German. Yeah. You know, like, what is he? What what is this character? And at no point is that ever actually expressed. And I think for me, you know, think there were, there were a couple of holes. One was that, and the biggest hole for me was that Indy was framed for murder in the first half of the movie. Right. That they never Um, resolve. Yeah. That's, that's never resolved. Um, so I, I found that a little odd, but you know, I mean, there were, it is clearly an imperfect movie. Um, and, you know, when you come from a series of of Indiana Jones, which which, you know, does have like Raiders of the Lost Ark is, is, is as perfect as a movie is going to get, um, you know, it it's not up to the standard of expectation. But I don't know that I had any level of expectation that I was going to hold a candle to any of those films. Sure. sure. Um, and, you know, after the last one, it, it is a much better beat to leave the character on, I felt, than the last movie. I, I don't disagree with any of that. My one other point I want to make, I was saying how I feel like uh, Indy in the in the 60s was better than Indy in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, I really that he there is a character and I can't remember her name and I feel bad about that. But she played she was the uh, uh, black CIA agent. Uh, Mason, the actress is uh, Seanette Renee Wilson. Thank you. Um, I needed I, I needed her to be more late 60s style and flair and i needed her afro to be more aggressive i i mean i i needed a mod squad sort of vibe from her and i feel like her her she was just kind of scraping that vibe i really wanted more like misty night <laughs> you know yeah. sort of energy from her uh well i think the issue with it's the same issue i had with boyd holbrook is you're, you're never quite 100 percent sure 
who the hell she is, why right. she's there, right. you know, a yeah. little bit more because she's I think she's with the CIA. But, you know, she's not the only villain who's actually right. fleshed out is Mads Mikkelsen. Right. No, the rest right. of them are, are basically, you know, they other than her visual appearance, there's nothing about this her character that, you know, expressed an African-American at, at that time, you know, right. in, in, in the late 60s. Yeah. You know, there, there was nothing really, in, and I get it, it's indie, it's supposed to be pulp fun action, but, you know, I, I they, they definitely didn't do as much with, with some of these characters that I feel like they wanted us to to acknowledge because they were on screen so much. Yeah. Um, but they, they were just, you could have interchanged any of those actors in any well, of those roles. And what I hated about how her character was used is there was, you know, to your point, there was, this was a two hour, 20 something minute film. There was plenty of time for us to get a little something about these characters. And I kept wanting more from her because, you know, clearly she was the conflicted villain. You know, she didn't want to kill everybody. She just wanted to get the thing and get going. Um, You know, she, she's realizing that she's working for Nazis, you know, which is, seems problematic for, uh, you know, someone of her ethnicity <laughs> to yeah. be doing that. Um, and so I was I was kind of interested on where that was going to go. And of course, you know, it goes badly for her. You know, it seems to me like a big opportunity to have done something more with that character. And yeah. I just it seemed like it. I felt like there were a number of missed opportunities through this film. Um, and I was just like, damn, you know, I, I think there was a much better movie here that they just chose not to make. Yeah, now, that's like some trimming, you know, some trimming in certain places and a little bit of fleshing out there. This film could have been it had the bones of a great movie. Um, and I'm sorry, I cut you off because you were about to say something. I was just going to say, I think I think that that there was an opportunity here to make a better film. But that said, um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And, you know, my big my big issue with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is how much CG is in it, how much of the action is CG. And that's the same thing here. And that's one of the things that kept pulling me out of the movie, because I really feel like Indiana Jones calls for practical effects. I think that there is a real world component uh, to, you know, a physical world component is what I mean by that in in terms of real um, that we just didn't get. But I loved the ancient Syracuse scene. You know, what's funny is so many people, you know, early reviewers really had a problem with the ending. They're like, it mm-hmm. goes even beyond of a stretch of an imagination than the ending of King of Crystal Skull. And I got to say, I had zero problems with the ending. Yeah. I mean, you know, the time travel component is introduced very early in the film. I mean, pretty much in the opening sequence, you know, okay, this thing's time travel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's not like it's a surprise when it happens. Right. Um, and so when it happens, you know, I, I honestly didn't have an issue with it anywhere near as much as I had an issue with the big CG alien mm-hmm. at the end of the last one. Right. You know, d- d- you know, using his mind powers to cause uh, that character's head to explode or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I honestly I liked the sequence and I liked you know, the, the the revelation with, you know, or the, the moment with Harrison Ford wanting to start Indiana Jones, you know, wanting to live history. Yeah. You know, all his life, you know, he, he's been in search of of these historical artifacts as an, an opportunity to live in history. Um, and, I, you know, that was a, a, a different moment for that character. And I think a lot of people have had issues with that. Mm-hmm. Frankly, um, you know, they, I think some people have expressed concern that it making looking Indiana Jones weak or, you know, or, or, or those types of things. And, you know, I have felt like the time travel was a like a, like I said, too much of a stretch. Zero issue on my end. 
Yeah, same. I, I, I love that, that sequence. My only objection to it is how late it came in the film. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, you know, when they tease you with time travel, I'm like, OK, well, we're going somewhere in this one. And throughout the movie, I'm like, you know, they're not going to have any time to, you know, do the man out of time thing. And of course, it was a very small piece of the overall film, but I did enjoy it. In fact, my enjoyment of the movie goes up exponentially when we get there. And the ending sequence back in the city, you know, back in modern times, um, I enjoyed all of that. I really did. Um, I, I thought that's where the movie really worked for me was, you know, in that last 30 minutes of the film. Well, and what I liked about the time travel element in this film, unlike in most films that introduce time travel, is it was damn hard. Right. You know, these are time fishers. It's not like they have a time travel machine. Right. That they can just hop back and forth in any period of time. Like, no, you had to find the right coordinates, fly through the damn time fissure in time, um, you know, and, and get back and get back through the same fissure, um, you know, based on when it was anticipated to close. Like it was not an easy element and it, it put some more weight behind yeah. it that that grounded it in some of that Indiana Jones realism, right? You know, like the Ark of the Covenant and and those things when when they were utilized, it was significant. And I felt like utilizing the Dial of Destiny, which itself was really just a map to the fissures. Right. Right. Um, it, you know, there was no power in the actual device. Um, I, I found well done. And yeah, I, I, I do think that the film ended strong meandered a little bit in the middle um and you know probably could have used some trimming at the beginning but yeah there there's with with i'm not i mean i'm not an academy award-winning director so what do i know <laughs> but i feel like they're they're you know you, you cut out 20 minutes of that film or even keep it at the same length but make those 20 minutes more useful uh-huh. to the story and to, yeah. to ground it and you know introduce a, maybe a few more jokes <laughs> you yeah. know maybe yeah maybe a little more fun um, yeah. then you, you you would have had a much stronger film. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I Like I said, I think one of the things that is missing from the film is a degree of fun. I feel like they, they mired the character in his grief, and I get that, mm-hmm. but maybe you had the people around him having a little bit more fun. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, because one of the things I missed was that smile. You know, uh, there are there are scenes in Raiders and in uh, Temple of Doom and even Last Crusade where you know you get to see him smile because he's enjoying what he's doing. And, you know, you just don't get that here. Um, but, you know, overall, I thought, you know, much better film than, you know, Crystal Skull. Uh, I, uh, I don't hate the movie. I just feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities here and I'll watch it again. I will. Yeah, honestly, having this conversation, I'm like, man, I kind of want to see it again. I mean, I will not revisit it in the theaters, um, but I will when it's available, you know, for home release. I do have a question for you because, you know, this is a Disney Lucasfilm Paramount joint. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that go to Paramount for streaming or does it go to Disney for streaming? I will tell you, I don't know Um, because I, you know, Disney Plus now has the Indiana Jones films. Mm hmm. But they didn't used to. Right. They used to be on Paramount Plus. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what type of joint venture, you know, because, yes, Disney owns, Lucasfilm owns, Indiana Jones as a character. Paramount logo was still on the, the film for distribution. So I, I got to be honest, I don't know. But yeah, I don't have a clue where this know, one goes. Hope, hope, you know, I think what they'll do, frankly, with a film of this size, unfortunately for me, is they'll release that bastard for um, on demand first mm-hmm. to try to right. make up some money. Um, you know, so, so it'll be a while before it's available for, 
you know, the, included in the cost of any of those subscriptions. Well, I watched a movie this weekend, Paul, that wildly eclipsed Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uh, in terms of quality. I, I got to tell you, I loved this movie from beginning to end. I, 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 I can't wait to watch this movie again. This is I, I, I and I am not joking here. This movie was fantastic. OK, the, the movie I'm talking about, Paul, is Cocaine Bear. <laughs> really? Holy shit. That movie's awesome. I, I still have yet to see it. It is. I won't ruin anything for you other than to say it's set in 1985 and it's shot like a 1980s John Carpenter movie. Uh, it is wild fun. It okay. is wild fun. I look forward to seeing it. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> you know, before we leave the topic of movies, um, I do want to mention on Hulu right now. Um, I came across a movie the other day. This ties to both of your prior movie notes mm. um, in there's a movie on Hulu called Burial. It has Tom Felton from uh, Harry Potter. I know mm-hmm. that you're not a Harry Potter person, right. but the movie is um, the description of the movie. And I saw the trailer in the last days of World War Two, a band of allied soldiers trafficking Hitler's remains out of Germany are ambushed by Nazi werewolves. Oh, no. I feel like this is a movie I need to see. I feel like this is aimed right at me. It's called Buried. Burial. B-U-R-I-A-L. Okay, so we I'll will we out. will watch that and we'll report back in because I saw, I saw I came across it on Hulu and I'm like the hell is this? Well, that's how to Nazi werewolves. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like, oh no, this is like a legit thing. This isn't like an asylum movie. Like it, the movie actually looks good. Well, based on your Renfield recommendation last week, I subscribed to Peacock this week, which is how I saw Cocaine Bear. Oh, OK. And and I was looking around and there's a couple of things there I want to see on uh, on Peacock. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm probably only going to have this for a month. I, I, I think I can kind of exhaust what I want to see here and move on. And then my wife found the Hallmark content. Yeah, uh, they've got and, that Hallmark deal. And she she she's like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm never getting it. Right side of things, Peacock is it's what is it five bucks a month, seven bucks a month? Uh, I think it's nine ninety nine for ads. Uh, oh, for ad free. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Because I don't, ads. I I can't, I can't do the ads. Yeah, I, I can't buy the ads. Yeah. Well, sorry, Aaron. Yes, you're you're probably yeah. stuck now, especially through I, the holidays. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but you hey, know, Peacock gets some of that good stuff. You know who else gets some good stuff? Uh, the CW because I don't know that's a true statement. (laughs) They get a good thing. They get a good thing. And that is Superman and Lois. And this was a terrific season this year. And the season finale was nuts. Uh, the, you know, the whole season and Superman and Lois has done this before where they'll, you know, they'll take their, you know, 13 episode run and they'll conclude the overarching, you know, uh, story by episode 10 or 11. And so you're like, well, what are you going to do with the rest of the season? And here we found out shortly before the finale aired that, you know, it's been renewed for a fourth season, but with none of the supporting cast. I mean, everybody in the supporting cast is gone. The only people who stay are the Kents. Everybody else is gone, gone, gone. And so in this last episode, they, uh, essentially are in the process of resolving everybody's story. So, I mean, shit is happening left and right stuff that you're like, Oh, this is going to go on for seasons. Right. Uh, and, and so that was crazy. Well, in the, ju- the episode just prior due to the, and I'm spoilers, by the way, due to the resolution of the Bruno Mannheim story, we found out that Bruno Mannheim had set up Lex Luthor 
to uh, for a crime he didn't commit. So Lex Luthor has spent the last 20 years in prison and, and largely because of an article that Lois Lane published. Well, you know, pr- prison, strangely enough, doesn't make you a more friendly person. And Lex emerges from his incarceration as really a bad, bad, bad man. Uh, he's a scary guy. And he spends this last episode taking everybody apart. I mean, like Sam Lane, he disappears, Sam, Sam Lane. Um, and he has located the bizarro Superman uh, who for, left over from the season prior and has t- essentially turns bizarro Superman into doomsday and sends him at Superman. And, you know, we know this isn't the case, but Superman appears to be dead by the end of the, the episode. And I mean, it was just a crazy, crazy episode. And man, I was there for it. It was fantastic. Mm. If you haven't seen the season, the season, for the most part, really tells a very realistic cancer story uh, for Lois, uh, up to and including a double mastectomy. Um, And, you know, while that's something you never want to have happen to one of your favorite characters, it was played so well, so believable. The bad guy, Bruno Mannheim, is is a fully thought out, fully realized character um, and that you have sympathy for by the end of his story. I, this whole season has just been fantastic. I've just really enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, I have uh, unfortunately not seen any of it, but I also but I don't think I haven't seen an episode of Superman and Lois since season one. You know, I I don't know why I never. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I had Tyler Hoechlin and uh, I forget the actress who plays Lois Lane. Tulloch, I think Uh, maybe Um, I had issues with them over on Supergirl, but they are fantastic here. They are they are standout performers really enjoy them on screen and you know they replaced the jonathan character this year because the former actor didn't want to come back after uh the second season and i don't even remember the other actor now i mean in in my mind new jonathan is old jonathan i mean he is so good and so much better in the role i mean i hate to say that to the about the other guy but uh he has fully taken on the role for himself good good show It's really a good show. Well, we got one more season, Aaron. One more. Well, and, you know, there's talk of, you know, that it'll be a shorter season. It'll be a 10-episode season instead of 13. And there's talk that, you know, they may pull it over just solely onto the streaming service at some point if it continues to build an audience. I just I think it's it's, it's a really different kind of Superman story that I'm, I really enjoy. So, hmm. yay. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we have one comic, just one comic, just one. Right? But, you know, we've talked, you've, got, you've gotten all your Indiana Jones talk, your Superman and Lois talk. But, you know, there's one comic I want your to cocaine talk bear talk. Don't your forget cocaine, about cocaine bear, bear. talk. Um, but I wanted to talk about Green Arrow. Yes. Um, hey, speaking of CW, you, you know, we, 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 we've left the Arrowverse and, um, you know, I want to talk about Green Arrow because I think we talked briefly about issue one when it came out. Now, mm-hmm. Green Arrow, written by Joshua Williamson, who's also the current writer on Superman, and he wrote um, Dark Crisis. And, you know, I I, I I wanted to talk about this book just because um, this book had a contender for holy shit moments of the, uh-huh. the year on the last page for me. Yeah. I was so 
completely surprised by the last page of this book. Now, Green Arrow itself, they have taken a whole different tact with this volume of Green Arrow than I've seen in any other Green Arrow book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most books have have delved into Green Arrow's, you know, street level, you know, heroism, you know, sometimes a little bit of elements of the family, that kind of thing. What we're dealing with right now is universe hopping Green Arrow, now very much rooted in the characters in the family, which I love. I love mm-hmm. that we're getting time with this Green Arrow family, um, you know, both his children and Black Canaries and Roy's. And you know, you're mm-hmm. you're getting the whole whole shabam um, here in this book. And I'm really appreciating that. But I'm it, it's the book is so different than what I expect from a Green Arrow book. And it, for me, it's really landing well. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I like the art. The art is, yeah, the very, art is fantastic. It's fantastic. You know, I, I, I don't know if Wayne's reading this book, um, but you know, Wayne always is a big fan of that superhero, you know, classic superhero art style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the art is by, in this book by Sam Izakse. I am um, not familiar with the artist, but there is certainly a Stuart Amonin vibe to it. Absolutely. Man, I'm just I'm just sopping it up with a biscuit, Paul. Yes, it is gorgeous. It is. And then, you know, so so basically the premise here is that Hal and his members of his family basically are unable to be together. And every time they get close, they're like zapped into a different universe or a different time period. And it's you know, and it's based on a deal that he made. And you don't know why, you know, Mm -hmm. future future Hal has not future. Sorry, Oliver. Oliver is who I'm referring to. Um, Oliver has made this deal. It's at some point in the future um, to, and we're not a hundred percent sure why, um, but then at the end of the book, you get an appearance by parallax and not parallax, the big yellow, stupid demon. (laughs) Hal Jordan parallax. Uh And based on the fact that we're dealing with both multi-dimension and multiple dimensions and time travel, like who knows, you know, could this be parallel? You know, is this actually parallax from the past? You know, brought into the present because now we're in the we're in the far future. I think at this point we're in the Legion right. of Superheroes timeline. Right, 30th um, century. Yeah, 30th century. So I that, when Parallax showed up, I'm like, oh, I, I literally, I actually said, holy shit, out loud. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, but I have only one complaint about that page, and it's that they've got him glowing so hard you really can't see the gray in his hair. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. it took me a second. I'm like, is that Parallax? You know, because that was kind of the the signature look. Uh, for 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 parallaxes, he had the wings, right? You know, yeah. the the, uh, the 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 white hair on the sides, like Reed Richards. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I was like, oh yeah, I'm here for parallax. Oh God, is this gonna? T- are we gonna get a final night? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I, I I love that. I I really enjoyed this book. Once I realized that it, you know, in the first issue that it was a multiverse hopping book, I was like, okay, I'm here for it. I like the fact that Green Arrow, who quote has no powers just mm. has exquisite skills. Uh, I like him being caught up in something like that. You know, he's not the flash. He's not Superman. He's a guy with a bow and arrow who's yeah. you know, really good at the bow and arrow. And, you know, we've gotten glimpses of various alternate futures that he's in. Um, and, you know, you've got future Ollie talking to current Ollie saying, Hey, you know, this is the deal we made, you know, for reasons. Uh, I like it. I like this book a lot. Yeah. And so, again, I'm, you cannot beat the artwork. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, and and unfortunately we have a few months break. You know, all the DC books are taking a break for the next two months. I don't know if this is one of them, uh, but you know, most of them are. I should say. I think yeah. some of them are, are removed enough from continuity that that they may continue. But 
I, I am all in on this book. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, speaking of, um, you know, that why DC books are taking a break for the next two months, it's because of Night Terrors. Um, so Night Terrors, um, issue one, First Blood from Joshua Williamson and Ho- Howard Porter, comes out next week, as does the first suite of um, Night Terrors tie-in books, including um, Batman, which is by Joshua Williamson and Guillermo March, The Joker, Black Adam, Poison Ivy, and Ravager. So, you know, basically every, you know, it feels like one of those crossovers where a lot, it has a lot of tie-ins, but that's because every book from DC, all the main books from DC are taking a break and are just doing Night Terrors tie-ins instead of releasing, um, you know, their individual issues. And now, just I, remember, dear reader, you know, if you're thinking, eh, I'm not going to get on this Night Terrors thing, I don't need me another crossover, you know, where all my books get derailed for two months. Just remember, this is how we got Flashpoint. This is how we got Flashpoint. This is how we got literally the reason that Superman and Lois TV show exists is because of Convergence. Right. Which is where we got Jonathan Kent. Yep. Um, you know, and so we'll see. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm going to go cautious into it. I'm de- I'm going to pick up First Blood and then I will decide from that if I want to pick up some of those tie in books. Yeah, I'm going to pick up the first issue uh, of the tie in uh, of, the, of the, the book. And just evaluate. I'm not picking up any other tie-ins until I have read that first book. Yeah. And if it's good, then I'll pick up the Batman and Joker right. books probably. I probably won't pick up Poison Ivy and Ravager yeah. um, you know, or Black Adam. But you know, the some of the, the basically the titles that I would normally pick up anyway. Right. I would probably invest in those. Um also from DC Comics next week, um, you know, be, like I said, some books are are still continuing, um, either based on scheduling or just because they're limited series anyway um you we have the the newest issue of adventures of superman jonathan kent speaking of uh you know issue five of that you know jonathan kent in the injustice universe storyline will continue and um from marvel comics we get the newest issue of doctor strange we also get marvel zero which is a um it says a deluxe edition collecting marvel's gold free comic book day titles um, so those feature previews of you know upcoming storylines in Amazing Spider-Man, Venom, Fall of X, um, Uncanny Avengers, and uh, it includes a preview of Jonathan Hickman's two new Marvel projects, Ultimate Invasion and Gods. Interesting. Um, so it's it's a it's a chunky 6.99 book. Um, so, but I'm I'm curious about it. Hmm. Just you know, unfor- I think I'm mostly curious about it for the Jonathan Hickman stuff. Right. And I already, same. You know, because I'm. I, I remember when they announced Gods. I don't know when yeah. it's coming out, but I'm curious about it. No, I'm down for I'm I'm down for anything Jonathan Hickman over at yeah. Marvel. Agreed though. And also for our sister podcast, Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, the newest issues of Star Trek Defiant and Deep Space Nine Dog of War. Woot woot. That gotta love that Borgie. The Borgie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and what you thought about Cocaine Bear and Green Arrow and all the things. Give us a shout over at funnybooks at iomgeek.com. Send us an email. You can attach an audio file. And if we use your email on the show, you'll want a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media. Leave us a comment on any of our posts, iomgeek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. What a deal. Well, hey, Paul, uh, we'll do this all over again next week. Yes, we will. And we'll see you next week for Night Terrors. Woohoo! I'm very scared, Paul. Leave the light on. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.
podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.